I will keep fighting to bring peace to humans and robots. This is Mega Bluster. I'm Stefan, and this is part 10 of our very, very long interrogation of the Mega Man franchise. This time around, Mega Man 3, also known in Japan as Rockman World 3, released in December 1992 for the Nintendo Game Boy. Every day, someone is born without having ever seen an episode of The Simpsons. Never forget this. There is a compulsion, one indulged by anyone who examines media critically, and one that is arguably the primary motivating force behind this project, to understand the nature of any particular individual piece of media by understanding its context. For a long-running series, this biases the critical mind towards completionism. The best way to understand wholly, let's say, a single Godzilla film after the first one, is to understand every other Godzilla film that was made before it and after it. Each entry exists as a single line of a tripartite dialogue between the franchise, its audience, and itself. Get it? And yet viewing the individual entries through this lens, inevitable though it may seem, overlooks the crucial fact, every day someone is born without having seen an episode of The Simpsons. As of this writing, The Simpsons has aired nearly 750 episodes over 34 seasons. And about seven of those seasons are perfect, and about four others are pretty good. The Simpsons has spawned comic books, best-selling albums, video games, and a feature film. It has introduced words into the English language, like cromulent and embiggen. It has been localized the world over. It has stamped itself onto the collective consciousness, like arguably no other creative or commercial property of the second half of the 20th century. The one possible exception being Star Wars. And every day, new human beings come into this world completely ignorant of it. No foreknowledge, no context. Now, at some point in life, these people will probably cross that unrecrossable line that separates people who haven't seen The Simpsons from those who have. And there is so much of The Simpsons out there that there is no way to know which episode of The Simpsons will be the one that pushes any one individual over that unrecrossable line. Now trace this line of thinking out far enough and you realize that every episode of The Simpsons is someone's first episode of The Simpsons. And every person who sees a different episode of The Simpsons first will walk away from it with a slightly different or perhaps significantly different impression of what The Simpsons actually is, what it means, what they should put into it, and what they could get out of it. 
I bring this up because by the time Mega Man 3, that's 3 is in the Roman numeral 3, not the Arabic numeral 3, and the second of three games we will talk about called Mega Man 3. By the time Mega Man 3 was released for the Nintendo Game Boy in December 1992, in the midst of a flood of Mega Man games on what was at that point clearly last generation hardware, and yes, I am calling the Game Boy last generation hardware in 1992 because, well, well, look at it. By the time Mega Man 3 was released for the Game Boy, it was about as fresh, impactful, and rich in quality as a mid-series episode of The Simpsons. Which is to say, it was a warmed-over specter of a proud, still successful, but clearly stagnant creative endeavor. Mega Man 3 brings nothing new to the table, except for a single new character design for a late-game boss that left an impression on no one besides its designer, Keiji Inafune. Its mechanics are straight out of Mega Man 4, including the Mega Buster Charge Shot. Its bosses are culled from previous entries. Many of its stage design elements are copy-pasted with limited deviation. The game is a step up from Mega Man 2, the Roman numeral 2, released about one year earlier, but only insofar as Minakuchi Engineering was better able to capture the physics and feel of the NES Mega Man games better than Japan System House was. Ultimately though, there's little to recommend it as the ninth, eighth if you look past the DOS release, entry in this franchise. But what if we saw it as the first? What if we ignored the games that led up to this, and approached it as that hypothetical first-time player must have? as the first game in their Mega Man journey. Now imagine the child whose parents bought Mega Man 3 for them because it was on sale or because it had the best box art on the shelves of the local Babbages. Imagine what that child would experience when they played Mega Man 3. With the mind of a newcomer, we might first notice that Mega Man 3 was pretty good-looking for a Game Boy game in 1992. It was comparable to what Nintendo was releasing that year, uh, namely Kirby's Dream Land and Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins. It also sounded pretty good for a Game Boy game. The music was catchy, the sound effects were crisp, and the controls, they were, they were tight, movement felt good. There are pieces of the game that may feel unfair, and the first-time player might wish that they could see more of the environment because they're sick of being surprised, and some of the jumps and obstacles may feel designed to kill rather than challenge. But all of this would come together to leave a fairly good impression on the first-time player. Now, for that player then, what is Mega Man? What would the first-time player leave Mega Man 3 thinking other Mega Man games would be? What would they take away? I think that what they would take away from it would be the difficulty curve.
Now, as we've talked about before, Mega Man games, at least in this era of the franchise, were notable for their structure as much as anything else. From the first installment onward, the player has had to choose their own path through the game, tackling the robot masters in any order. Whatever order they take those different stages in can have an effect on the difficulty of their journey, but by and large, each of the Robot Master stages are roughly equal in the challenge they present. There is then a difficulty spike as the player proceeds through the open-ended Robot Master challenges onto the linear march through Dr. Wily's Fortress. Mega Man 3 does not deviate meaningfully from this formula. However, like previous Game Boy installments in the series, it only presents four Robot Masters to the player at the start. Robot Masters within Wily's Fortress. Mega Man 3 actually gives the player two proper non-linear chunks of the game. After the player has cleared the first four Robot Masters, the recycled Snake Man, Gemini Man, Shadow Man, and Spark Man, they are then confronted by a truly pitiful mini-boss. After trouncing that mini-boss, they are greeted with a second set of Robot Masters, Dust Man, Skull Man, Dive Man, and Drill Man. That's a real 3DS offering. Presented in a clean 2x2 grid, offering a second non-linear adventure, before the game finally comes back together for its challenge in Dr. Wily's Castle. It is surprising how much more difficult the second set of stages in Mega Man 3 is than the first. Without scientifically dissecting these stages, they all feel much longer than the first set. Their enemy placement feels less fair. Their structure feels more punishing. And if I'm leaning too heavily on the word feel here, it's because the thought exercise in which we are engaged is how does this game feel to someone who has never played another Mega Man game? To the first-time player, Mega Man 3 might feel like a game that gets hard all of a sudden, far earlier than they might have anticipated. How does a player react to that? Do they power through, or do they drop out? And in 1992, does it matter as long as they've paid? Mega Man 3 would leave a first-time player with the impression that Mega Man games are pretty fun before they get really hard. And that impression wouldn't be wrong, generally speaking. And over the course of these games, it's becoming clear that it is increasingly not just what the first-time player would experience, but what Capcom thought Mega Man should be. From game to game, we see this same difficulty curve replicated, challenging but fair initial stages that are then subverted by an extremely difficult march to the finish. Now it's worth asking, where does that ethos come from? It doesn't seem to be from Akira Kitamura. And it's difficult to imagine it coming from Keiji Inafune at this stage of his career, given that he was still primarily an 
artist and hadn't assumed control of the franchise just yet. The answer most likely is that it comes from Tokoro Fujiwara, whom we have mentioned in previous episodes, but who deserves a bit more attention than we've perhaps given him. Now, Fujiwara was at heart an arcade man. That he produced several classic games for home consoles does not meaningfully change this fact. As a director, he is responsible for games like Ghosts and Goblins, Commando, Bionic Commando, Ghouls and Ghosts, and Sweet Home. His credits as a producer include DuckTales, Gargoyles Quest, Breath of Fire, Resident Evil, and the Mega Man series through the end of the Super Nintendo's life. The man's legacy within Capcom is monumental, but his design philosophy, even to today, remains rooted in the idea of forcing gamers to overcome robust, often unfair challenges. Fujiwara believed in hard games, and the punishing nature of many entries in the Mega Man series likely reflects this. In some ways, Mega Man 3 feels like the most Fujiwara-esque of all games we've examined so far, as it's the one whose difficulty ramps up most quickly, most unexpectedly, and whose merciful qualities are most absent. And while the series would soften a bit as years passed, there would always remain in it a kernel of this idea. That Mega Man was supposed to be hard, that it was supposed to challenge you, and that if you didn't learn its intricacies, it would punish you. So for a first-time player, new to the franchise, new perhaps to the concept of video games, who happened to end up with a copy of Mega Man 3, to introduce them to the world of interactive media. What would the lesson be? Well, this hypothetical player would learn that video games are hard. But they might also learn that a difficult video game embiggens the smallest soul. Thanks for listening to part 10 of Mega Bluster, our very, very long interrogation of the Mega Man franchise. Music from this episode was sourced from ocremix.org in compliance with that site's content policy. You can find credits and links to the original posting in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on the podcatcher of your choice. And if you didn't enjoy this episode, please deliver it onto your enemies as a curse. If you have any feedback you would like to provide, or if I missed something, you can reach out to clay at guilelessgamer.com. This and other social links are also in the show notes. How long will I keep on fighting? How long will my pain last? Maybe only the X-Buster on my hand knows for sure.